Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show. I'm Joe Favorito, and usually I'm joined by my co-host, Tom Richardson, who's off on vacation this week. So I'm going to do this solo, and we're going to talk to someone who many of our listeners have probably heard his voice at some point, whether it's radio, podcasting, background noise, who knows where. Uh, But we're going to talk about the business of media today with someone who's hustled his way to many, many different types of gigs and juggles many things and comes from the prestigious school at Syracuse University. Uh, Our guest today is Seth Everett. Seth, welcome. Thank you so much, Joe. You know, we talk so many times and it's, you're so much nicer on the air. It's amazing. Yeah, isn't it? It's amazing. Such a kind person. I mean... If you guys knew what kind of a jerk he was, oh, my goodness. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, on to other subjects. So, so Seth, um, like I said, people hear you and some of your work in every place from your podcast, Sports with Friends, to some of the stuff you love to do in the comic space, to places like WFAN and NBC Sports Radio and WCBS and WINS. how ha- how has the media business from a from someone who is on the media side evolved, especially in the last couple of years? And how do you keep up with all the places where you can work today uh, and the opportunities that come about? And how do you put them all together? Wow, it's a it's a loaded question. The, the industry is quite different in the last three years than it ever has been. Technology is a big thing. I'm a big believer in podcasts. Let me first start by saying that. Um, MLB Advanced Media was a place that I worked in the 2000s, and they started me on podcasts. Uh, In 2005, they took a radio show that we did that was streaming, and they turned it into a podcast, and people were telling us all over the world that they could listen to a show I was doing you know, at their leisure. And I, I just thought the concept of it was so brilliant that I really do believe that podcasting is the future of the spoken word. Um, what has happened as a result, though, is it's an uncharted space. There's nothing about podcasts that are easily monetized. Even immensely successful podcasts have trouble getting you know, consistent sponsorships that's rivaling what radio shows used to get. And because of that, sponsors are now trying to figure out what should we be putting our advertising dollars toward, and they're shying away from the traditional means of live radio. So what you've seen at live radio is cutbacks, and what you've seen at podcasts is this amazing explosion, and I don't necessarily know that either one of them has properly been streamlined. And you're obviously playing both sides of uh, the, you know, the cards against the middle because you know you work in both media. Um, so, well, well but radio pays. Radio pays, and right. podcasting doesn't. If I if I could just do the podcast that I do, and and you know support my family that way, believe me, uh, I, I that's all I listen to. You know, I mm-hmm. jokingly say the only time I ever listen to live radio is when I'm on it, because. <laughs> Because I have a podcast for all of it. And that doesn't mean that I ignore stations. You know, mm-hmm. stations now put out their own podcasts. I can listen to a WFAN podcast and get the exact content I want. I don't have to hear Benny from the Bronx calling about the Knicks. And I think that's a la carte radio. And I, I think that that's why I'm a, still a believer in the spoken word. And it's just transformed because live radio doesn't present the same things. Hmm. 
So let, let, let's take a step back and to how you kind of got to this sure. space where you are today, and we'll talk about that. But why don't you walk everybody through how you got to Syracuse, you know, your experience <laughs> there in the program, and then kind of how it evolved through all the places that you've been. You've touched on MLB Advanced Media and NBC Radio, yeah. and um, it's kind of an interesting journey. And, you know, now you're playing both of the business side and the, the you know, the media side. So how, how did that all come about? Well, I'm going to need you to promote my tell-all, so maybe this could be the pitch. Yeah, um, I, have the, I have the idea for a tell-all. I'm telling you, it's, it's going to be spicy. Um, the, my career started in college. I went to Syracuse. When I went to Syracuse, though, I wasn't necessarily infatuated with sports broadcasting. I didn't necessarily want to be the next Bob Costas. Originally, I wanted to get into political radio. And I learned at a very early age, basically my freshman year, all about paying dues. And I have no problem. I have paid my share of dues. But what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to cover uh, murders, kidnappings, hostage situations. I didn't want to make my mark that way. And I really wanted to be somebody that people tuned into because they wanted to, not because they felt compelled to. So early on in freshman year, I, I decided to get into sports. And I knew about the tradition of Syracuse you know, Mike Tirico and Ian Eagle and Bob Costas and Marv Albert and Len Berman and uh, Dick Stockton. I mean, the list goes on and on. And I wanted to be a part of that fraternity. And I can honestly say that, you know, over the 25 years that I've been doing this, I, I've been amazed by how much Syracuse people really do support each other, as I say that on the Columbia Sports Podcast. Um, but then after Syracuse, I, I wound up getting a job. Uh, in Syracuse in the American Hockey League and in the New York Penn League for baseball. And I was trying my hand at baseball and hockey. Uh, Hockey was really cool because I won uh, an award, an American Hockey League Broadcaster of the Year Award, which pigeonholed me to move to Denver, Colorado, because after school I got a job working at the Fan in Denver. I was the beat reporter for the Denver Broncos, but I was also the pre- and post-game host for the Colorado Avalanche. And I did that for a couple of seasons. Uh, Luckily, you know, the right place, right time thing, the Broncos won the Super Bowl my second year, their first Super Bowl. That was when uh, John Elway and Terrell Davis beat the Packers in Super Bowl 32, and I was on the field for that. And that pigeonholed me because I was getting a lot of uh, guest appearances all over the country talking about the Broncos, and one of them was in Seattle. And I went up moving to Seattle, uh, Tom Lee, offered me a job to become the sports director and then host the Mariners postgame show. And even though I was leaving hockey, which was, was something that was a passion of mine, uh, I went to Seattle. I worked with the Mariners for four seasons. And the Mariners, ironically, made the playoffs at the end of the 2000 season. And the reason that's significant is they wound up playing the Yankees in the ALCS. And I was traveling with the Mariners to New York, which is where I had grown up. I grew up in New Jersey. And I met the people from the commissioner's office who were launching something with Sirius at the time, MLB Radio. And I went up having lunch with them. And a couple of months after the playoffs, I was offered a chance to come back to work for MLB Radio, which quickly got absorbed by MLB.com and MLB Advanced Media. Um, I did that for eight years. It was uh, the greatest job I ever had. I wound up meeting my best friend, the late Daryl Hamilton. Um, and I covered, you know, All-Star Games, World Series. I covered the steroid hearings. Uh, it really was an amazing experience. But in 2008, when the market crashed, 
uh, MLB was trying to downsize, and they realized with the emergence of MLB Network that they wanted to they wanted to basically showcase MLB Network and not what MLB.com was doing. So even though their company was growing, they weren't doing original programming anymore. So I got got out of there, and I went over to Sirius. From Sirius, I worked at ESPN. I went up hosting Baseball Tonight. Um, from the end of my ESPN run, uh, I'm just doing this for time. <laughs> After ESPN, I went up working with the New Jersey Nets and the Philadelphia Phillies, and I got in with WFAN and CBS, and that led to anchoring at 1010 Wins. I was doing Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio led to 2014 when I went up working for the New York Mets. I traveled with the Mets and did their radio broadcast, and then I was their pre- and post-game host. And then I hooked on with NBC and NBC Sports Radio, and that kind of brings us to, to basically where we are now. That's, a, that's, that, as, that's as fast as I can tell that story. Is that a normal path for people who are kind of in the business for you? I mean, to kind of, you know, you, you hear millennials changing jobs every, you know, five or six months. Sure. Um, is the media business, and it seems like every piece for you was a brick to get to the next place. But um, is that a normal path, do you think, for someone interested in media? Well, I think back then, uh, don't forget, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, sports radio was, was growing leaps and bounds. Every market wanted to have a sports radio station. So, yeah, at that part of my path, I think, was, was pretty um, normal for, for, for broadcasters. You know, I, I always compare, you know, friends of mine who did what they did you know, I have one friend who's been in Chicago for 12 years. He's the sideline reporter for the Chicago Bears. He didn't bounce around as much as he does, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he didn't ascend to the same level that, that, that I did. Uh, I didn't want to do producing. Um, you know, Sweeney Murdy tells a great story about how he started at WFAN as an intern and then went to a weekend overnight board up. And I had interned the year before Sweeney, and all of a sudden I didn't want to do weekend overnight board up. I'd rather go to Denver and try my hand, but at least be on the air. And it's just mm-hmm. it, it's not a, a better or worse. It was just a different strategy. I think that the instability that exists now is that everything's freelance. And everything, you know, NBC Sports Radio is freelance. CBS 880 is freelance. Bloomberg, the stuff I do for WBBR is freelance. WBAL is freelance. And what you do is you just combine a lot of different freelance projects because what's happening is the full-time, streamlined, nine-to-five job just doesn't exist anymore. Right. Um, And you have been kind of a student of the evolving forms of media, whether it's streaming video, whether it's podcasting, whether it's, you know, other forms of of audio, uh, whether it's blogging. Um, yep. How important is that today? And the reason why I ask that is there was a, a situation that happened during the NCAA tournament at Madison Square Garden, uh, which some people may be familiar with, where there was a Sports Illustrated for Kids um, reporter who asked a question to Frank Martin, the head coach at South Carolina, and it created this whole kerfuffle with traditional media people you know, groaning and, and complaining about, you know, why this kid was in there, where in reality the kid asked a good question. And by the way, you don't have to be a 55-year-old or 60-year-old person still doing the same thing. You're actually better off being almost a 12- or 13-year-old kid who understands Snapchat and Instagram to, to be successful in the business now. So how much has it evolved for you, and how did you pick up these pieces along the way? 
Well, one of the things I've always been into is technology. I've always been a tech nerd. I've always, you know, I always wanted the the best cassette players. I always wanted uh, the newest things. I was very into CDs when they first first came onto the scene. There's a lot of things that evolved that I just dug tech. I was a Knight Rider obsessed, you know. Mm -hmm. So the cars today are kit. I mean, that's what that is. And so I was always embracing that. Um, The concept of streaming video, uh, I had a chance to meet, and this was just a chance meeting a mutual friend of ours, Melissa Chu said, who you should get on the podcast. Um, Melissa introduced me to the guys who created StubHub. I was Mm -hmm. fascinated by that because I had read commercials for StubHub. And they introduced me to a web service called Spreecast. And I met some of the nicest people in the world through Spreecast. Spreecast, you could do from your house. You were hosting these live town hall chat features. I wound up working, and I, I tell this story, um, you know, not, not as a name dropper, but I wound up working with Prince for 11 months because of my relationship with Spreecast. Those mm-hmm. things don't happen if you're just doing the traditional beat. Um, Spreecast's failure was because they couldn't figure out how to get their technology onto the iPad. You know, they were Flash-based, and they couldn't get – Apple was, was, was not – helpful to them in letting Spreecast become a big thing on mobile devices, and that's the end of Spreecast. If you know what Periscope is, though, if you know what Facebook Live is, Spreecast was the pioneer. And I Mm. think the neat thing about those kinds of things is always trying to be on top of that and always trying to dip your toe into whatever water, and I do think that there's a future for streaming. I mean, you just saw the money that Amazon just spent for the NFL. Clearly, people believe in streaming products. And so how do, you, how do you stay ahead of everything, Seth? Or when you go for uh, an interview or you go and you meet someone for lunch, do you have like kind of a laundry list of, hey, you know, I can do video, I can do audio, I can do this, I can produce. Um, and then how do you know that those are the, the pieces that you need? And then how do you go find the new ones? You know, a lot, of, a lot of the meetings that I wind up having are through mutual friends. It has been probably 20 years since I cold called you know, an outlet to try to do some work. Um, But one project leads to another. Um, I, you know, the the existence of my podcast, you know, the success that I had with the Hall of Justice podcast and the fact that uh, by accident, I wound up having the director of Batman Superman, uh, Zack Snyder, who's directing Justice League, uh, on my podcast. And he said some defamatory things about uh, Superman, um, that wound up getting you know some some three hundred thousand downloads, and it really gave life to my podcast. And now sponsors were reaching out, and now we could do something where uh, that podcast can go places. And there's a demand for why hasn't it been posted or why hasn't it been tweeted? I never had that you know with any with any project that was just online. Uh, and now it's it's interesting to see how how that's evolved because, for example, the work I do with the New Jersey Devils they were interested in how I did podcasts. I never heard that. That wasn't somebody who heard me on ESPN or saw me on SNY or or any of those places. They, They literally, the people who wanted to hire me with the devils heard podcasts that I had done, sports podcasts that I had done. I did this interview with Ken Griffey Jr., who I had covered when I worked for the Mariners, and that wound up, you know, getting another piece of work. So, it's just not that traditional. I jokingly, I, I met with this one company. I don't want to give their name out because it didn't work out. But 
I didn't – they offered me something, and they had asked for my resume, and my resume is three and a half pages long. And it's jo- I joke because if this was something that you put on parchment paper, like you know when you and I were putting resumes together, you mm-hmm. would never have a three-and-a-half-page resume. But in right. the world of PDFs, what's the difference? You're, you're talking about bytes. You're not talking about actual pages. And I think that there's something about the evolution of that. Um, the, what I have learned from, from talking to students, because I also teach on the side, uh, I've taught at St. John's and I'm teaching at Seton Hall, one of the things that I've learned from, from the standpoint of, of people is cover letters. People don't pay attention to cover letters anymore because it's an introductory email. When was the last time you read an email that looked like a form letter? Mm-hmm. Great point. Um, you are obviously a great storyteller. You know how to get information out of a guest. What makes a great guest for you, whether you are writing doing video or, or uh, creating a podcast? What, what are the elements of a great guest? Well, I mean, I'm not going to lie and say that name recognition wouldn't help. <laughs> you know, uh, Eli Manning and Ken Griffey Jr. do better than uh, when I've had, you know, authors on. You know, I, I had uh, uh, Gary Myers on my podcast, and I think Gary's a, a, a great guest. It got half the downloads that, you know, David Wright will get. Um, right. It's just that, that's the nature of celebrity. I, I, I understand that. Uh, to me, a great guest is someone who listens and a person who doesn't give cliched answers. Uh, the one mm-hmm. thing I've been fascinated by with the uh, the Devils podcast that I do, and it's not mine, so I'm not I'm not soliciting downloads. You know, I don't own that content. But the podcast that we do with the Devils, um, the players really get into it. Uh, players really have opinions and they want to discuss subjects. I loved asking players just in a generic, very casual manner about their thoughts on the Olympic debate, you know, the, the NHL Olympic debate. And mm-hmm. it's amazing how on the fence these players are. The union is claiming that they want to play. The players know how much the schedule stinks when they take three and a half weeks off. Sure. So they, it, it's just amazing how honest, because what player, when you go into those scrums, you've seen so many of those scrums in your career, Joe, when mm-hmm. you see those scrums, how polished these players look and how many cliches they give out. And yet when you have an intimate conversation, and you know, is that maybe a strength of mine? I find that I can get that kind of content out of people. I find that I can push. And the other thing about podcasting that I think is a big thing is I always tell a guest, if there's something you're not comfortable with, if you want me to edit something out, I will. I'm on your side. This isn't right. adversarial. And I think what happens is then when you ask the bold question, the guy's not saying, wow, the nerve of that guy. It's, okay, he's trying something. Let's see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Who, um, and you touched on Prince, and I'd, I'd like, love you to talk a little bit about your I can talk about that Prince. story. Yeah, sure. Um, but who, who are some of the best guests that people would be surprised at that you've had? The best guests that I've had. Um, comic book writers, I did mm-hmm. not realize would be that interesting. Um, Mark Wade, who's an iconic comic book writer, uh, was one of the most interesting podcast guests I ever had. Um, uh, the, the owner of the Spirits of St. Louis, uh, Dan Silna, uh, we sat down to talk about, uh, something that his daughter was working on, uh, about the, the Berlin Olympics. 
and we wound up telling the story about the spirits of St. Louis, and that turned into a conversation that went over 45 minutes. Uh, I couldn't imagine. He he opened up and you know disclosed so much more than I ever thought he he would. Um, you know, uh, Corey Schneider was great. You know, with the with the Devils. Um, mm. There's some there's some players that that come about, and then the whole Prince thing was was we 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 can discuss that. Um, you know, Spreecast was looking for me to do stuff that was my personality. You know, I had done so much sports content for them, and they literally said, "What what about you?" You know, Spreecast. The whole idea was to make the hosts personalities and to literally be able to do shows about what you're passionate about. So I did a, a Spreecast about Superman because I'm a comic book nerd. And then somebody said, try something else. And I, I said, okay, I'm a Prince fan. I was a huge Prince fan growing up. And Prince's music really spoke to me. So I had a lot of stuff that I could tell a story about Prince. And it turns out one of the engineers who worked on Spreecast worked on Prince's website in the early 2000s. And when that happened, the Spreecast bosses were immediately like, oh, do more of those. Those were cool. And I probably only have a half hour's worth of print stories at that point. I didn't know how to do another Spreecast about it. And I found this blogger on Twitter. And it's just so funny how Twitter goes because I had reached out to some blogger. His blog had a lot of Prince content. So he either knew Prince or he was just a super fan and he could be a guest on the show. And it turns out that he ignored me for three months. I did a show on NBC Sports Network that had my Twitter handle. He recognized that I was the guy that had reached out to me. Hmm. Three months later, he comes back. He comes on the show. We do a show, hands down. That's it. New Year's Eve on January on 2012 to 13. So December 31st, 2012, Prince reaches out to this blogger and gives him a message to give to his fans. And in the process, says to the blogger, your website blows. Do a <laughs> podcast. Do a, do a video. Do a YouTube. Like, it's, it's 2013. Do something. And the only thing he knew how to do was the Spreecast with me. Because you can embed Spreecast, or you could have embedded Spreecast into people's websites. So people could go to his website and see our show. You don't have to go to Spreecast.com. And so Jack, New Year's Day... I was at 1010 Wins, and he calls me and says, can we do another Prince show? And I was getting paid for him. So I said, sure, no, no problem. I'll do another one. We set it up for a certain night. Prince launched a Twitter campaign. He went on Twitter under an assumed name. He was posting YouTube videos that only he would have, um, and people were suspicious that it was him in disguise. This is such a Prince thing that he would do all throughout his career. And because we had scheduled our show the next week, people thought we were behind it, so therefore he was behind it. And 55,000 people logged on. And Prince mm. saw that. He watched the show. He saw the show. He saw the download numbers, you know, because people watch the archives, and he flipped out. So he calls the blogger and asks – he makes us this offer that he will essentially become our producer. He will book our guests. He will give us music to play on the show, and he will send us show notes about topics that he would love to hear fans' reaction to. And all he's asking in return is that we do it weekly. We don't work for Prince. We were, I work for Spreecast. And the blogger gets to embed these shows on his website. So it was a partnership, not, a, not, a, not an employment situation. And we wound up doing 
11 months worth of shows and he would give us countless music. I mean, the amounts of music that he would ask us to, to upload to the show. Um, it was wild. There was an article in billboard magazine, the cover story in billboard magazine in April of 2013 featured Prince on the cover. And I was mentioned in the article. I'm a wow. sports guy. I had nothing to mm. do with it, but uh, the Prince story was, was, was amazing. You know, like many things in Prince's career, he kind of got bored with it. I was getting bored with the lack of support. So we, we, we split up after 11 months, but we, we ended in November of 2013. But, you know, it's very cool to say that for a year, I spent a year working with Prince. And no little red Corvettes or raspberry no. out of it for you? Well, the, the, yeah. the best story, the best story that came out of it was, his band, uh, he had these two uh, singers in his band that were trying to launch their solo careers, and they started a, a, a lounge gig at City Winery in New York City. And on a Sunday night, I had met Prince's manager that week because Prince had asked us to do our show from City Winery. We had to get internet connectivity mm -hmm. and set the whole thing up. So we did it, and I interviewed every person in the band. And on that Sunday, I get a text message from the manager that says you want to come to City Winery on Sunday night. And it was a Sunday night. I had work the next day. I didn't, why would I do that? And they said, you have been requested. And that was all that was said. I show up at City Winery. I get there around 11 o'clock. Around 12.45, I get summoned to the back, of, back room uh, at City Winery, and I met Prince. And he thanked me for doing the show. We had a really cool conversation. We talked about ideas. Uh, he knew that I had worked on Sirius Radio, and he wanted me to reach out to them about a Prince channel. I mean, we had this really wild conversation. He wound up taking the stage at around 1.30 in the morning and played until 6.30 a.m. And wow. City Winery is located across the street from uh, uh, WFAN. It's, it's down the block. And I had parked at the fan because I knew where the good parking was. And I'm walking at 6.45 in the morning. I had been up all night. And I'm walking, and I see my, uh, a couple of my buddies who work on the Boomer and Carton show. And they go, what, what in the world are you doing? Like, I'm not the guy who stays out all night. But mm -hmm. I had stayed all night and partied with Prince. It's the people you meet along the way, for right. sure. So. It's a, cra it's a crazy uh, story. I love that story. Yeah. Um, in, in the couple minutes we have left, Two questions. We always have three questions, and one of them you touched on about the advice you give to young people. But where do you get your information from? Who do the people that you follow who've influenced your career? Uh, and then where do people find you if they want to find you, whether it's on social or wherever? Well, uh, as far as influencers, I mean, the greatest uh, partner I ever had is no longer with us, um, Daryl Hamilton. Uh, he was a player. He played 13 years in the big leagues. And uh, after his, he retired, uh, he wound up getting into broadcasting, and uh, he and I were partners for four years. And um, I, I can honestly say I'll never have a job that I love more than that. And that was, I used to say that before he was, he was tragically uh, killed in 2015. And, you know, so, so as far as, you know, mentors, uh, I would have to say you, you've been wonderful in my career, Joe. I, you've given me yeah. all kinds of ideas. You, 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 you've introduced me to so many wonderful people. Uh, but there have been others. You know, Tom Lee, who is a program director out in Los Angeles now, but he was the program director in Seattle, and he was the guy that convinced me, you know, sight unseen to go out to Seattle, Washington. Um, and I would say he was the, the best boss 
uh, I ever had, and um, you know, by a, by a lot. Uh, as far as information, where I get information, it's really all Twitter. Um, I, you know, I follow a lot of people on Twitter. Um, some of that I do so I can keep in touch with people. You know, direct mm-hmm. messages are, are just as good as text messages. People check those first, I find. Uh, so so that, that's one thing about, about Twitter. So I can't say there's a one outlet. You know, it's not a – I'm not against ESPN or I'm not against CBS or Yahoo or, or any of the, 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 you know, Bleacher Report. It just so happens whatever I see on Twitter – um, I have bookmarked every newspaper site for every major league team, and I probably read those, I would say, three times a week. Um, mm. Because, you know, when, you know it, it, with the job that I have where I have to go on all these stations, you know, if I go on in Milwaukee, I have to know about the Brewers. If I go on in San Francisco, I better know about the Giants and the A's. It's not just whatever the local team happens to be. And, you know, so I, I, I read up on a, a lot of team sites. Uh, it's, all, it's, all, it's all on the web. Mm-hmm. And as far as how and people can find me, the, the best places, I would say, is Twitter. Uh, Seth underscore Everett. Uh, you need the underscore. And the reason for the underscore. There is another Seth Everett out there, I guess. There is a guy, and he has 35 followers, and I know 12 of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 12 guys are following this guy, thinking it's me. Uh, and he puts up some pretty freaky stuff. So, or the other side uh, of it is there are thousands of people following you who think they you are the other guy. That's yeah, very possible. They're expecting uh, you know Arabic and, and and some strange things from me. Uh, but uh, no, I, I I love interacting with people. And you know, one thing I say about Twitter is uh, I'm very good at keeping up with people. You know, if somebody takes the time to say something nice. I, I, I genuinely uh, respond. And even when people say things that are not nice, you know, I've had a couple of Twitter backlashes. I mean, the, the Tim Tebow story was uh, something that I, I didn't appreciate when he was uh, involved in a, in a church. He was supposed to speak at a church that uh, was notably anti-black, anti-gay, and anti-Jewish, and I became anti-Tebow. And mm-hmm. um, I ripped the guy. I, I ripped the guy to shreds. I think the guy's a phony. And I, I say that, and I and I mean it, and I back it up, and I can you know I can back it up. But in the Twitter world, people hear that, they hear a soundbite, they hear me say that on the radio, and they immediately question it. And you know, all I say is nine times out of ten, uh, if you are an adamant uh, Tim Tebow supporter, it's genuinely because of religion, not because of why people think he is as popular as he is. And I thought you know it's pretty fraudulent of the Mets. I thought, you know, I compared the Mets signing of Tebow to when the Yankees asked Billy Crystal to play in spring training. And I do think that I don't take it very, very seriously. And I I think that organization is obsessed with uh, PR. It's the same people who wouldn't let David Wright throw outside because they were worried that John Heyman would see that he couldn't throw and thus they, they, they shove him behind closed doors because they think that we're not going to know that he can't throw. That we, the, He thinks that people are naive. And it's just funny when you see organizations like that. And those kinds of things are hard to eloquent on 140 characters. So I and, think, and that, it, you know, you run into that kind of problem. And I'm fine yeah. with that. And it's ironic that um... – Tebow's first home run that he hits in the minor leagues made it to the video board during a Braves Mets game at City Field when I'm sure there were plenty of other prospects uh, oh, who sure. played the same night whose highlights never made it to the, the, the video board. So 
Oh, that's a separate um, podcast. We could, we, I'm telling yeah. you, in the tell-all, I'll, I'll tell you all about who, the, the, the brainchild behind uh, who put Tebow's uh, home run on, on, on the scoreboard. <laughs> uh, I know that's anyway, the, too well. Before we go that way, uh, yeah, the yeah. last thing is uh, you touched on some of the, the advice that you give to young students. Is there anything else, uh, especially for people who are looking to get involved in the media field, um, in terms of the grit that you've kind of put forward, and you know the, the you know the stick to itiveness that you have, uh, that you share with people. I I do not want to dissuade uh, young people that have a thirst for the, the the broadcasting industry, because I think the broadcasting industry will stabilize and it will resurface. I I, I don't know how, but I think it'll it'll exist. I think the opportunities that people have nowadays. Um, to hone their craft, you know, forget jobs and forget monetization. Uh, back in 1994, I wish I could have done a podcast. I mean, that would have been amazing. I would have had my own radio show before, you know, I had to ask, I had to beg WHN in Syracuse to let me do an hour after minor league games just so I could cut my chops, you know. And mm-hmm. I, I think th- these days do Facebook Live, do Periscope, do a podcast and try it. And let people who are in the industry, whoever your, your mentors happen to be, uh, let them hear it and let them try it out. Um, the, the best advice I always give people who want to get into sports is find the craft that you want to be in sports. You know, if you mm-hmm. do it because you love baseball, well, then try to be a general manager. Don't try right. to be a radio guy. Uh, if you love radio, then then do radio. <laughs> then Then go for that field. But... I think sports is enticing because there's bright lights and, and lots of dollars thrown around, but I think it's the passion for the industry that you choose that can get you into the sports game. Mm-hmm. Great. Seth Everett, once again, thanks for taking the time to join us. You know, your career has been one that I think people can kind of marvel at, and, and the great <laughs> thing is, and no pun intended with Marvel and comics, by the way, uh, I think the great thing is, you know, you're staying ahead of everything, and, it, you know, that's a, a tremendous example to the people who listen as to what stick and grit can do in a media career. Well, Joe, I thank you very much for coming from you. You know a lot of people, so... Uh, I, I really appreciate your perspective on things, and I, I love what you guys have done with the podcast. I've, I've listened to uh, more than a half a dozen episodes, and uh, I love that you know each subject is so different. Uh, I like that. I probably will fast forward to this one though. Yeah, I'm sure. Once again, our guest today on the Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports, has been Seth Everett. And thanks everyone for listening, and we'll check in with you down the line. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. I'm Tom Richardson, and my host is Joe Favorito. My production assistant this week is Columbia student Reese Eisenman. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple's podcast app, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other key platforms. You can also find it at blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Cusp Show. And you can get in touch with us on Twitter underscore SPS underscore sports. Also, you can find out more about our program, the Columbia University Sports Management Program, by going online at sps.columbia.edu forward slash sports hyphen management. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, 
Sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.